and welcome to episode 86 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name's Rob Woods and this is the podcast for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants some ideas and maybe a dash of inspiration to help you raise more money and enjoy your job, especially during the COVID pandemic. And today, if you work in individual giving or you're a fundraising leader and you'd like to deepen your understanding of some ideas that help make individual giving programs successful, I hope you're going to find this episode useful because this time we're looking at how to encourage regular supporters to donate more per month and what you can do if they stop giving. In other words, the themes of upgrades and reactivation. I recently spoke to a brilliant fundraiser named Jenny Crabtree from Navigate Fundraising to create a new video learning bundle for our Brightspot Members Club, all about how to improve your fundraising results through upgrades and reactivation. If this sounds helpful and you're not a member of our Learning and Inspiration Club, you can anyway get access to some of Jenny's ideas by listening to episode 82 of this podcast. In that one, Jenny offered advice in terms of mindset, cross-selling, telling stories, importantly, how to find opportunities for growth in your data, as well as the importance of engaging and inspiring your supporters long before you come to ask for anything more. In today's episode, we continue to talk about engagement and stewardship, among other things. And I was particularly keen to start by getting Jenny's advice on how we can understand whether our current stewardship efforts are effective. So let's get into it. Here's my chat with Jenny Crabtree. Hello, Jenny, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Rob. Good, thank you very much for having me today. You're very welcome. Jenny, I wonder, the majority of the fundraisers I talk to, they are working hard on thank you letters and they are working hard on stewardship. But I guess you might say, yes, but is it working? Yes, it may be interesting to you what you've put in the stewardship or the channel you've chosen for the stewardship. But what matters is, is it interesting and enticing and working for the supporter? What would your advice be to help someone find the energy and the and the discipline, I guess, to keep on going back to that sort of test and curiosity mindset? Yeah, as a direct marketer, testing is so critical and it can often prove whether or not something is working because you're quite right, just because you send it doesn't mean it gets opened or read or anything happens to it. And with engagement pieces, you're not asking for a response often. So there's no measurable, well, I know, you know, I had a 5% open rate because that's how many of them came back and I can show you all the envelopes on my desk. So even with engagement pieces, you can test. So I know one charity who during lockdown took the time to call a group of their supporters. Couldn't do everybody, but they, there was a particular group that they called just to see how they were doing. No ask, no nothing, just a check-in call, which was amazing. Um, and they are planning to segment that group in their upgrade activity this year to see if they perform any differently to the people who didn't get that phone call um, of check-in. And then what they're hoping that will show, because they haven't been able to afford this year to do the check-in phone calls, is they're hoping that they will see an increased response to their uplift activity, that they can then build the business case and say, you know what, it cost us a thousand pounds to do the check-in activity but we can see that the response for this particular group more than pays for that and still overperforms against the group who didn't get it. So they've got a control segment of those who didn't get the phone call 
and those who did, and now they're measuring. It's taking them longer than they would have liked because they would have liked to have been able to afford to do the phone calls because they think it's a good stewardship piece, but ultimately they do have bottom lines to answer to and finance directors. So it's a great way to be able to measure it and prove it so that next year, hopefully, they'll be able to justify the case for having a little bit of extra budget to do that engagement activity. Yes, Jenny. So this sort of willingness to test as much as we possibly can so that we're getting a sense of whether things are working or whether they're not, and so that we can justify future investment in these areas. It's it's so obvious in a way, and I know it's not always easy to find the time and energy to get that set up in practice. So anything we can do to steal our resolve to do it can only pay dividends. So one last area you think is important when we look at this topic? I think the last thing, and it's a question I often get asked, is when is the best time to upgrade my donors or to reactivate my donors? And sadly, it's it's not a hard and fast, you do it at this point in time. Again, you have to test it and find out and look at your overall engagement plan. You know, I know some charities wait a full year when it comes to looking at when to do that upgrade activity, they will wait a full 12 months from the first gift a donor has given. Others wait six months. Um, there's no right or wrong. And it very much, in my experience, comes down to testing it, looking at how much capacity you've got in your team to actually undertake those tests. I know um, many years ago when I was setting up an upgrade activity, we just had to do it once a year because there weren't enough of us to do two campaigns a year. Whereas now I know that charity has grown and they are doing it much more frequently. Again, have you got enough donors to warrant if you are going to use an outsourced third party agency to warrant doing that twice a year? Or does it have to be once a year? Or could you do it every quarter? How? How does that affect when you would do it? So there's lots of really detailed things to think about when it comes to timeliness. So who are you asking? Ideally, when would you ask them? And how frequently will you ask them? What happens if they say yes? What happens if they say no? Are you really going to keep asking year on year on year on year all those people that upgrade until what? When does it stop? Think about it. What happens if they say no? Are you just going to ask them again next year or do you give them a break for a year? Think about planning out those journeys for the different scenarios and think about what communications they will have seen coming back to the point earlier around what your colleagues might be doing. And it might not just be fundraising colleagues, it might be colleagues from your comms team. You know, if your charity has got a big awareness day. For example, you're a disability charity and you're doing some, you know, a big push of activity about your charity and all the amazing work you do. And yeah, how does that affect when you might want to do some of your fundraising activity? And also look at the detail of how that fits with your donors. You know, if you know that you want to do an upgrade telemarketing campaign, but your audience tend to be out at work all day, then don't ring them between nine and five because they might be like me when they're in work mode. Unless it's my work phone that rings, 
or the kids at school, I don't answer it because I'm like, no, I'm just here in this zone. So would lunchtime or, you know, 5.30 entice them to pick up their phone and answer it? So there's lots of really micro level timing questions that you need to be asking and thinking about when is the best time to do it. And in terms of timeliness, then reactivation is also really, really timely because you you want that donor to think, well, yeah, actually that charity has noticed I've stopped giving. I know I quite often, as as many of us fundraisers do, sign up to various um, different charities and I'll give to them for a bit and see what happens. It's amazing how few reactivation calls I get, really is, and I always opt in. Um, But it's amazing how few that I get, or sometimes I get them months or years later. Um, I had one recently for a charity who, God, when did I stop giving? A long time ago, a long time ago. And I had a reactivation call just a few months ago and I did restart um, to see what happens. But when I stopped giving and I didn't get anything, I didn't feel valued at all. But if you can put something in place as close as possible to the time when you notice that gift has been cancelled, then I've seen that work really well for some charities. You know, I know some charities send a letter or an email offering a payment holiday of actually, I'm really sorry that you want to cancel your regular gift, Jenny. Would it help if we set up a a six month payment holiday and you restart in six months time? Some people, you know, if your support services team are getting phone calls from people saying, I'm really sorry, I need to cancel my gift. Can you work with your support services colleagues to have a conversation with that donor of, I'm really sorry that you want to cancel it. Would it help if we reduced it to just a couple of pounds a month? Does that help? Um, and again, I've seen that work for some charities. Sorry to interrupt, Jenny, if I could just jump in with causes I support, there's at least two two times I've been quite relieved that a charity has been proactive and confident enough to say that to me on the phone because I was sort of a feeling, a, a, I was feeling bad and I put off having to make this call and when, because I <laughs> still really cared about the cause and the fact that they enabled me to, to have my cake and eat it. Mm-hmm. I was taking steps to economize because I needed to financially, but I got to keep the identity of someone who still is there and hates this, this problem and, 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 and w- likes to think of themselves as one of the good guys that stands up against this problem. When the charity was able to give me a way out of that cognitive turmoil that cognitive dissonance so I could keep being a supporter albeit for the moment going down to two pounds a month uh, but still broadly I was economizing I remember being grateful to the to the person at the charity who was able to confidently help me basically get what I wanted hi it's Rob and I wanted to jump in quickly to let you know that if you're the manager of a team or if you belong to a fundraising team At the time of publishing this episode, we're still accepting team memberships to our learning and inspiration site, the Bright Spot Members Club. To give you a quick sense of the impact that ongoing access to these resources can have, here's what one fundraising manager shared about how the club has helped his team's results. 
Hi, my name is Dan McNally and I've been a Bright Spots Members Club for over a year now. And what I absolutely love about the club is the practical ability to translate Rob's amazing sessions out into real life field fundraising results. When I was at the British Heart Foundation, we created a workshop based on Rob's corporate fundraising bundles. And within six months, every single person who had gone on this workshop that we developed had managed to secure one of their dream 10 corporate organizations. To find out more about all the live workshops and training bundles that you get access to through the club, go to brightspotmembersclub.co.uk forward slash join. Or to find out about the valuable discounts available for teams, send me a message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. But right now, let's get back to Jenny's ideas about how to offer donors more options for supporting your charity when times are hard. And I think confidence is key because I've taken those phone calls from supporters myself where they've said, I'm really sorry, I've supported you for ages but my circumstances have changed and I can no longer afford to give to you. And it can be really, really scary and almost awkward as that person taking that call to say, did you know you don't have to cancel and you could reduce your gift? Because quite often people just sometimes don't realise it because they give you five pounds, they think that's all they can give and that even just a pound doesn't matter. And it truly is for me, you know, it is when someone gives you a pound and they're in hard times, but they are still going to give you a pound. That's the stuff that makes me cry. That's why I come to work. That's the amazing stuff of caring enough to give you just that little bit. And it all does add up really, really and truly does. Uh, that is the joy of individual giving. It is a lot of people giving low or lowish amounts can make a huge, huge amount of change for a charity. It doesn't have to be a big major donation of tens of thousands of pounds. You can do that through the power of the collective and just being brave enough to tell people that even a pound will help can be amazing. And you might need to do some training with the people that take the phone calls for you, whether that's you or your supported care team, just to give them that confidence that you spoke about because that is, it is a bit scary. I've been there, done that, and I, I completely get it. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that occurs to me while you're saying that, I read a really interesting book called Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath, which is all about um, some pitfalls that happen when human beings make decisions. And one of the most interesting things I remember about the book is how often as human beings, we just reduce things into, you know, no shades of grey, on or off, giving or not giving. And they say, basically, whenever you think a choice is down to a dilemma, that's why you're really struggling to make a decision. In truth, it's very rare that actually a choice comes down to just one thing or the other. Almost always there's a middle way or several middle ways. And I think that's the reason I finished those phone calls with those charities actually happier than before I picked up, because they'd helped me see there was a way I could get my cake and eat it of still being a supporter, but also getting my overall outcome, which was reducing my, my financial outgoings. Yeah, absolutely. Most times people don't want to not support you anymore. They just need to know there's a slightly different way they can do it for you. So yeah, have those conversations. Yeah. And I guess the same applies for the way you help someone still feel good about your causes. It actually might be no longer financial, but it, it, there might be some other way they can 
happily still be involved or still feel like they're they're behind your cause and that sort of comes back to one of the the topics we were talking about right at the beginning of this conversation about this clearly as fundraisers people giving money is is crucial but from the donor's point of view there's other ways uh, we can help them enjoy supporting yeah absolutely you might have a community fundraising product that they could take part in you know could they organize a bake sale for you there might be you know Sometimes you find out that people are cancelling their gift because they've just had a new baby and they're expensive. Um, so, yeah, actually, could they organise a coffee morning or something? Community fundraising teams might be interested. Is it campaigning? Do they want to go and train and run a you know, marathon or something for you? There's lots of ways that we enable people to support our charity. And often it's really easy to forget just because that particular method doesn't sit in your world, that they could do lots of other things for us. And that will ultimately increase the lifetime value of their support because they're doing multiple activities and staying engaged with your organization and the cause that they care about. So absolutely, we very much feel like we've come back to the beginning and talking about um, yeah, cross-selling and, and not being tied into budget lines again, but it's definitely worthwhile. Thank you, Jenny. I guess one other thought that's occurring to me before we finish is how it might not always be easy to make time for this type of activity in our fundraising compared to a project that is a new appeal or seeking new donors. Do you have any thoughts that that might help us, you know, have the discipline to do these things? Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely not something that is in the new and fancy and interesting category it's the bread and butter basics or should be the bread and butter basics of any really good, effective fundraising program. So it is easy for it to slip down the to-do list uh, and it's often less visible than an, a big acquisition campaign. But one of the things that we teach when we do the individual giving mastery course is around how do you how do you get the momentum and find the time to do these extra things because it's a busy job being a fundraiser we don't generally speaking have a lot of spare time um so what i would say is don't be overwhelmed by thinking i am here and i've got a really long way to go to get an upgrade and reactivation campaign up and running oh it's too big to deal with break it down into chunks and it becomes much more manageable. And what I would ask everybody that is listening who thinks, great, I really want to do this, is when this podcast finishes, just spend probably even two minutes thinking of one thing that you can do today and one thing that you can do this week that will start you on the journey to actually making progress with this. It could be going to talk to your colleague who sends out newsletters and finding out what he or she is doing, if that point really resonated with you. It could be booking a meeting with your database manager to sit down and look at, let's just check who's going into our um, activity. What are those two tiny things that you will commit to doing within the next week? Go and jot them down now. And then I found that to be a really useful thing to put on your to-do list much more so than sort out upgrade activity because that's just never going to happen. It's too big and scary. So yeah, take those little steps and you can make it happen. Thank you, Jenny. Yes, one of my new favourite books is called Tiny Habits and it's all about the amazing 
momentum you build when you you just get yourself to commit to a surprisingly tiny thing and then you feel good about it so then then the next chunk doesn't feel so scary so jenny thank you ever so much for making time to talk about this important topic i really appreciate your advice and your examples and i look forward to catching up with you again very soon bye-bye thanks rob bye-bye thanks for having me bye i hope you found our chat helpful If so, and you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, please take a moment now to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the juicy episodes we've got coming up for you. If you're the leader of a team and you'd like to get your team access to a whole library of my best training films for fundraisers, including the full learning bundle I made with Jenny, as well as our live weekly workshops and masterclasses, then do check out our learning and inspiration site. You can find out more at brightspotmembersclub.com co.uk forward slash join and although at the time i'm publishing this in january 2022 we're not taking on new individual members we are still accepting new team memberships and the various discounts for teams are better than half the price of individual memberships so if you'd like to find out more about these options do send me a quick message at events at brightspotfundraising.co.uk just before i finish If you found today's episode helpful and would be willing to share it on social media or with your colleagues, I'd be really grateful. Thank you so much for sharing these shows to help other fundraisers. And Jenny and I would love to hear what you think about this episode. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you for listening and I wish you the very best of luck with all your fundraising efforts today.